If you've ever had a family member or loved one in the home care system, you know the story. You've got a bunch of different people involved, providers, carers, other family members, friends. Everyone needs different information, interactions, and communication. Simplifying all of that is really important to make sure that promises are kept, expectations are managed, and the right people get the right information at the right time. Well, my guest today has been grappling with that issue for some time. I'm speaking with Simon Hazeman from Halo. And in this episode, we're going to explore their platform, the importance of person-led care, and the opportunities for innovation at scale within the health and aged care sectors. Well, let's make it happen, Team Health Tech. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Simon Hazeman. He's the co-founder of Halo, which is a purpose-built communications platform helping providers engage effectively and efficiently with clients, families, and their support teams. He's focused on building a world where customers can seamlessly connect and communicate with their providers, their friends, and their families. Hey, Simon, how are you going? Yeah, great, Pete. Thanks for having me on today. Thanks for joining. It's great to connect and talk about such an important topic and looking forward to learn a bit more about Halo 2. Let's jump in and learn a bit more about yourself. Firstly, Simon, what's your background? I'm what you would call a generalist, I guess you would say. I'm a true purist entrepreneur in a lot of respects. I've done a bunch of different things over the years, but with a heavy focus on customer experience, customer service. That took me into a little bit of sales and things over the years. And then in later years, I spent a little bit of time as I moved into a little bit of technology. So I was working in biotech around human movement and things like that, but always with a lens of sales and customer service, which is really my kind of core. So I would be, as you say, a, yeah, the true entrepreneur in that sense. Love it. A nice one. And so now Halo is your thing. Tell us a little bit more about that. Greg and I, the two co-founders of Halo, we started the Halo journey six six years ago, I think five years now as Halo, and Greg is the technologist of the two, and I'm the generalist, or so you can see kind of the IQ versus the EQ. We have a pretty cool little dichotomy between the two of us that seems to work really, really well as far as the way we approach thinking. And yeah, we started Halo about five years ago. Greg and I have been friends for 22 odd years not that i recall every year as far as counting them it could be 23 or 24 i'm not exactly sure but we linked up again when greg got back from living overseas working with some technology companies overseas and when he got back both of our families were navigating the home care continuum at the time And we really knew we wanted to work on something together at some point. And it was just kind of this perfect storm of opportunity where both of our families were experiencing the same problems or the same situation of having a loved one go through home care at the time. And really through that collective experience, we got together to start the Halo journey. And I can talk a little bit around how that was birthed, if you like. Yeah. And keen to understand that problem a little bit more around the home care side of things. Go a bit more deeper into that for us. Yeah, so when we both got together and started looking at this problem, we were looking to start something, some kind of business, and our families were going through the home care continuum, and both of our families were a little bit different. So to give you a bit of background, Greg's mother is one of 11 
brothers and sisters, three of which are nurses, and they went down the road of essentially self-managing the home care. So they took care of arranging when things were going to be happening, who was coming and when and what have you. So that meant a lot of, call it administrative or handoff of management between all of the family members. And for his family, that caused a lot of stress and nearly the family unit to break down in a lot of respects because they were managing everything and everyone had conflicting opinions and all the kind of things that come along with self-management. Whereas my family was disconnected by geography. So we were spread out all across the world and as grandkids and as the immediate family members. So our parents who were arranging the care for at the time it was my grandfather, there was a real disconnect around the information that we were able to gather and see and be involved with. You were at arm's length around everything that was happening. And there's a real, especially for us as grandkids, it was very much arm's length around how we could be involved. And we wanted to support our families as much as we could, but understanding what was going on day to day or how we could have influence. And that was really, really hard. So when Greg and I first started Halo, we really, I guess, just started to question what was going on in these two types of environments, the the fully managed and the the self-managed care environment. And what we boiled it down to is that there was some very basic things that weren't occurring around communication. So to give you a little bit, going, taking a step back to the background, speaking about Greg is the technologist and me, someone as a customer service or generalist. We come from a contact centre background and that's where a lot of the customer service stuff comes from. We knew immediately that there was technology, that there was tools that were being utilised across other sectors like retail and customer service and banking or whatever it might be that could be utilised to solve some of these problems that we were experiencing. And since essentially it was just very basic communication. Who's coming to deliver the service? Can I change something? How much money do I have left on the home care package? You know, my grandfather, by the time he got to the end of his home care and he's now in a residential facility, he had a bunch of unspent funds that he didn't utilise that he could have used to help him stay at home for longer. And it was really just around that one handoff of information between all of the parties involved from the support workers to the provider to the client or my grandfather himself and the family members and friends around him. It was really just the inability to access the information on what was occurring and the archaic ways in which that information was shared. So paper statements, phone calls in and out to the provider to understand what's going on. Very basic elementary ways of communicating that from the other sectors that we'd worked in were days of old, I guess you could say. And that's where we really saw the opportunities around this communication gap that was occurring across home care at the time. Home care is a really interesting one too, isn't it? I don't have the stats and no doubt you would have a bit more of an understanding being closer to it, but more and more people are wanting to stay within their home, have the capability to stay in their home longer and will eventually move into aged care facility or something around that. But in doing that, there's all of these extra responsibilities that you'd be taking on and all these other stakeholders involved too. No doubt you'd have your GP and all the other healthcare providers, plus everyone taking turns to check in and make sure things are going appropriately. So no doubt it's in a growing area generally. Is that right? Home care? Definitely. You know, and I think as we can see with investment in the 80,000 new home care packages from the budget this week, I think we also know in a lot of respects that, and again, we're 
technologists working into the sector. So there's probably a lot of other people that have much more knowledge on these things. But you look at a lot of the cost pressures that are happening across residential facilities and the idea of actually moving more of that support into the community for a longer period of time, you know, will ultimately take that pressure off some of the facilities and things that are out there. I think people generally, though, of course, who wouldn't want to stay in their home for as long as possible. There's some fantastic facilities out there, but I want to be in my community. I want to stay with dignity and independence and choice around my family and I think most people want to have that as an experience. There's obviously the economic impacts that we were talking about before, but as far as people are concerned, I think, yeah, more and more people want to stay at home. But the issue is it's very hard to access, as you were saying, those services, either they be allied health or GP or transport or whatever they might be to enable you to actually do that. And so there's the economic side of it all, but there's also very much that social side that's driving it as well. Yeah, really interesting. And so then Halo, what is it exactly? We know the problem that it's speaking towards. What is the thing? Probably just as an extension into that, when we're talking about that communication problem, what we discovered was really interesting. We actually started to do some work with a few providers on their, you know, voice the customer feedback and confusion around care and around care communication is the number one complaint for a lot of the home care providers out there, which is essentially to say that it's very hard to understand how much money I have on my budget or how much is being spent on the services that I'm getting. We discovered that over 60% of all communications in and out of the provider were about three things. So who's coming, when, and can I change or access something? And we call those high-frequent, low-value communications. They're things that can be essentially automated. And what we discovered is that most providers, like we were speaking about before, were using very manual ways of communicating that, paper statements, paper newsletters out, phone calls in and out of the provider, emails on an operational sense internally that was then managed with shared inboxes and post-it notes and call-off sheets and very old frameworks to communication. And we discovered that those, you know, high-frequent, seemingly low-value communications, if automated, could alleviate a huge amount of cost and time pressure for the provider. Insert Halo. Halo bolts on to the provider's current systems of record and CMSs, so their scheduling platforms, their CMS platforms, the infrastructure that they already have in place. A lot of the infrastructure across the sector is seemingly or somewhat old. They are going through a definitely an uplift and evolution onto the cloud and more interoperability, but up until now, it was very hard to get that information out of the back office and into the community for people to interact with through different ways. So... Halo is one of the only platforms that seamlessly bolts on to a care provider's current platforms and enables us to share information out into that circle of care, out into the community to enable people to engage with it. So being able to receive a service notification through SMS or email or through a branded app when a service changes for a customer to be able to access their statement or their budget or to make a payment or to view their care plan. Very simple operating information or the things that are important for that customer or their family members to engage with. Halo enables that by plugging into the back office systems and then deploying that out through multi-channel communication, which is a provider branded app. So we're a white labeled experience. 
Then we have different channels, SMS, email, voice, like when you call the bank and it has the voice system that you call the IVR experiences and it enables people to self-serve information and access the information that they need to be able to understand what's happening out there in the care network. Okay, good, got it. So it sounds like then it's definitely not something that every single type of stakeholder has to download a Halo app or something to be able to then communicate across different modes. It's that behind the scenes thing that's connecting everybody through different means of communication to enable them to just get done what needs to get done. Yeah, exactly. I really like that. I think it is about exactly that enabling the way people prefer to communicate. We know deploying apps out into the sector, we're only going to see currently around about a 30% adoption rate if you pull off the adoption really, really well of digital technology in the sector. So that's only going to be a small cohort. We see that grow month on month at a rate of about 8%. And that is only going to grow over time as we see more of the baby boomers come into the sector and they're more tech enabled. But today that's not the case. Today we need to enable or find people in their preferred means of communication. And if that means phone call, maybe it's because of a desire or capability, especially as we work into the disability space. Some people want to connect on SMS. Other people like to send emails. Other people want to make a phone call and have that human interaction. So Halo enables 100% engagement across the community by enabling any channel, all channels of communication. And I think that's one of the things that makes Halo very cool is we've really opened up those multiple multi-channels, which is a term that's been utilised a little bit more across the sector these days, but also being able to have those channels work within each other. So have an SMS and an email both going into a ticket. We have a ticketing system in the back of Halo that enables teams to work through all the customer inquiries. And we can bring in phone calls into that ticket, SMS into that ticket, so people can have one-to-one conversations right from their daily workflows. Really huge opportunities for optimization when you do start to open that channel enablement. Yeah, cool. Just thinking around then, you've got so many different stakeholders that are receiving comms in different ways through Halo, and that's one of the benefits that you're connecting all those pieces together. But in the end, who's paying for it? Who's the customer for you guys? <laughs> yeah, look, we're a B2B SaaS platform. The provider pays. We have a model, though, that we think is quite innovative, for lack of a better term, where it only works on the engaged or active clients each month. So as the provider delivers a service or engages with that client, they pay for a nominal amount, subscription amount for that customer each month because you'll find that a lot of providers might have, say, you know, caught 10,000 clients on their books, but in any one month, they might only service 5,000 of them. So we want to enable the platform to be able to scale up its capability and reduce that each month depending on the utilisation that's happening. And going back again as we replace those more paper-based systems and some of those older systems, the RIY on going the last mile, which is giving digital technology to the customer themselves, to their family members, to the support teams, is really a very large opportunity for providers to drive huge optimization across their field teams and beyond. So there's really nice ROIs that come from connecting those channels in. So is it then that they're only paying for active members? Is it per every single transaction or is it just if they're an active member that they pay for? 
we have a definition of active client because there's so much complexity across the platform around different channels, around different types of engagements. We have an active client definition, which is essentially anyone with a service or that's communicated with across that given month. Yeah, no, I asked the question because I know putting the vendor hat on for a second, working out pricing and something also that's reasonable and fair for everybody that's using it. But one thing you don't want to do when you're establishing something that's like a pure utilization model, you don't want to disincentivize people to use your platform by charging every single time they use it. I think you found a good kind of middle ground there of you're only paying for what you use, but at the same time, it's not like they're being penalized for using it more, which is what you'd want them to do. So I think that's a good approach. Yeah, for sure. And and most providers have a very consistent amount of services they deliver each month and therefore communications. So Halo's done a really good job of amortizing that cost over the features. As an example, we build in a lot of the SMS costs across the platform. So one of the features we have is as the provider or scheduling team changes schedule in their system of record, Halo will automatically know about that and notify the customer or their family member on their preferred channel. So we have those SMSs, for example, are wrapped up into the costs uh, of the monthly subscription costs. At other times, we have the capability to segment customer data and do a broadcast SMS around a COVID warning or around some new training for support staff or whatever it might be. Those kind of things are a little bit more of a pay-as-you-go mentality because they could get up into the tens, tens and twenties of thousands of times. Oh, makes total sense. That's awesome. Thank you for that detail. Changing tracks a little bit. When I think of this space, and you and I have talked about it before, this concept of person-led care. And so I'm keen to kind of get into that in a little bit more detail. When we talk around the concept of person-led care within this space, what is that exactly? And what are some of the potentials and the benefits that come out of that? I'm going to be honest with you. The word person-led care is something that for me has only recently come into my purview. Before this, it was person-centered care was the terminology that I was hearing a lot around. And that seems to have morphed into this person-led care, which is quite an interesting nuance. I was reflecting on this because it came up in a conversation the other day. And like, so person-centered care, I guess, is about decision-making around or with the person in mind, whereas person-led care, the decision-making is coming from the customer. For me, that's where the nuance is behind those two statements. And person-led care is really quite an interesting concept because I think a lot of the time we have assumptions on what someone needs and person-centered care is us acting out on those assumptions to make decisions around that person and around their needs. A truly person-led care model is really enabling that person to direct the care that they want, direct the services they want, because in a way health is somewhat subjective and if not relative. And so when I think about it in the lens of Halo, we talk about it as moving decision-making to the customer, not just about the customer. And at the moment, there's a real triage of decision-making that goes on from the provider out to the support teams and support teams back to the provider. That's where a lot of that decision-making goes on. Obviously, there's case managers and care managers that are making decisions with the customers themselves as well. But our technology is trying to enable more of that decision-making to move from, say, the back office environment out into the community. So enabling ways for the support team members to work with that customer or client and to enable the decision-making out in the field. There's a lot of downstream effects that come along with being able to do that. 
as an example, you'll have a support worker might notice something when they're visiting a client and then they call the office, the office goes and checks something, they call back to the support worker, they communicate that with the client, they get the decision, they go back to the support worker who calls back into the office or whatever it might be. And this rework, this back and forth takes a lot of time. So the more that we can move decision-making to the person themselves, the client themselves, the more empowered and optimized the workforce becomes, the client's experience becomes the behavior changes if there's like an increase in accountability that is an optimization that comes from less triaging of that information up and down the chain there's a real potential one of the big benefits i think of moving to this person-led model and the digital infrastructure that will follow that is there's you know massive opportunities to decrease costs and in a way the sector has there's nearly these costs that for a long time that the sector seemingly has seen as just the way that it is. It's just a human-centred sector. We have face-to-face, this is what we have to deal with. It's phone calls, it's these. And the more that we can start to enable the individual to do more, the support team member to do more, the less pressure it will have on the health network and on the provider. And again, looking at the budget and looking at the 4.4 million a year over the next four years, I think what it works out to be, which is half of the recommendations in the Royal Commission, we need to continue to find ways to optimise the sector because that funding essentially, from what it seems, won't be solving this problem in its totality. So yes, that's kind of the way I think I look at the person-led. I'm interested in what you talked about a little bit at the end there in regards to innovation within the sector and doing things the way that we've always done them because it's human-centered. And I've very much seen that myself. And it's interesting tying it to, at the time of this recording, federal budget announcements were only just made yesterday too. So there's all that information still coming through. I'm interested in your perspective then, firstly, about why are we not seeing this innovation at scale within the aged care sector in that whole space, but it also very relevant to healthcare too. We've seen pockets of movement and some talk about it, but it doesn't happen at scale. Why is that? It's a very, very complex sector. And it's a really complex question in a lot of, you can do a whole podcast on this topic. It's really hard for providers out there. And I sympathize with what they go through every day because providers do an amazing job with the resources that they have. And that doesn't say that there shouldn't be some more accountability over this problem from the providers, because ultimately it will be the providers that will be required to make the change. It won't come from government in its entirety or the funding will help, but we as a sector still need to spend that money efficiently. Providers, it's quite interesting. We're in somewhat of a reactive sector and because just like this new reform and I think the 20-odd reforms that we've been through over the last 14 years or something like that, and don't question me on those reforms, we are constantly under this legislative change pressure. They're already talking about a new care act that will be rewritten over the next two years, which means that the providers are now going to have to adapt and get agile, which you think of these quite innovative startup terms around the new legislation and the new requirements and the new funding model and then the extra rigor that they're talking about investing into the compliance across the sector and the regulatory elements across the sector. So providers, in one sense, are constantly dealing with this rapid change that's happening on a, as far as the sector itself Combine that with consumer demand is changing at a rapid pace, far beyond, I think, 
what any of us are really understanding how quickly that is shifting. And then it goes also goes into the fact that, like we are talking about before, the infrastructure of health is disconnected. Platforms don't talk to each other. It's very hard to access even my health records and some of the different types of health data that's out there. We have systems that are still not on the cloud at scale across the sector, which means it's very hard to integrate and to connect and to move things. And again, I'm not the person to talk about this stuff in detail, but we have an underfunded and undervalued workforce. And that is somewhat systemic, not just with support teams, but all the way up into C-suite where you see massive amounts of movement across executive teams and operational teams and obviously in field teams across around the sector. So again, we're constantly retraining and reskilling and that happens in all sectors. It happens across the board, but being at somewhat an institutional sector and we struggle with change generally we have been doing the same things in the same way with incremental change sure but we've generally been approaching the same problems in the same way for a very very long time and like in a startup versus a large organization as an organization grows above 150 the amount of people that you're able to have a meaningful social connection with you need systems and you need ways to operate and make decisions and when that starts to happen your ability to move as quickly and become lean and make those adaptive changes becomes harder and harder we have very large organizations in the sector that provide majority of the support across the sector and the sector generally struggles with that change on a cultural sense as well there's a bunch of different reasons for that so i think there's a lot of different moving pieces to why and then there's downstream systemic effects of that the cultural issue they talk about across the sector people feel undervalued we don't open up feedback very well because we don't want to get a true understanding of how people are feeling about the services that they're receiving there's a lot of different things going on we struggle to attract talent in the sector and when we do attract talent and i've worked with some amazing people over the years but a lot of burnout from the change fatigue and coming in with these big visions and not being able to do it themselves or not being able to affect change at scale i've experienced that myself in the sector you have to wake up every day with a real drive and a real passion and i think that's what kind of holds the sector up in a sense is you've got these amazing people working in it that work in it for that intrinsic value. They're definitely not in it for the money. I think that we struggle to innovate because of all of the myriad of these different reasons that are occurring and the complexities within all of those. And it gets to a feeling of it's just too big to tackle. And I think that really puts us back into a place of operating from nearly like a place of fear or a place of risk. We're a very risk adverse sector as well. It's health, it's people's lives, it's important stuff. We don't want to make mistakes. And all of these things breed an inefficient innovative environment and I think it's just a combination of all of this happening at once and maybe a a little element I think sometimes in the provider sense of maybe trying to do a little bit too much at times where you get a lot of providers that are trying to be technology companies or social change companies or whatever it might be and that's fine it's a good thing to do if you can execute that unfortunately we don't see a lot of that happening at scale across the sector but yeah a complex one i would say 
I think you did a pretty good job of summarizing in a couple of minutes all of the issues. I feel like if there's anyone that's new to trying to innovate within health or age, they just probably had to listen to the last couple of minutes and that'd be their whirlwind tour of the equivalent of 15, 20 years of experience in the space. So good job in summarizing the issues to this point. I guess the bigger question then, buddy, is what do we do about it? From an individual's perspective, those that can influence what they can influence, whether they are the providers or the tech vendors or whoever it is that's involved within the space, what can be done on a day-to-day or over a longer period of time to start to build on these issues to start finding innovation and growth and progression? It does seem daunting when you lay it all out in a paraphrased way. But as you said, that's 10 or so years of, or five or 10 years of gathering insight. Therein lies the opportunity as well. Like all things, there's duality behind all things. And those problems are the opportunity. What can be done about it is one, look, there needs to be, you know, what we're seeing since COVID, especially within our space, which is what we're talking about before, that last mile of um, digitalizing the interactions out into the community between the customer and between their family and that support team back into the provider, the intent or the desire to start to connect people now in meaningful ways is growing exponentially across the sector. So you do have to take a moment that in a very challenging sector, there is so much great work being done and providers very much working through that change as we speak. Our organization's grown threefold over the last two years purely by that extra interest in connecting people because they can see that as a little bit of a future state. On a more tactical level, one of the things that we've found at Halo is that for young organizations coming into the sector wanting to innovate, as I said, I've got a pretty good hold on the problems because that's where we start. We start by digging in as much as we can into why is there a proof of concept graveyard concept around the sector where projects get up and then they fall over? Why do projects once you implement them if you don't stay true to those objectives and goals seem to fall away after a little while okay you think back it's the reactive time but they're under time pressure there's a lot of opportunity to lean in with the provider to help them navigate these things that they're going through you know they're under so much pressure and so under resourced generally speaking just to deliver the day-to-day any innovation that needs to occur has to occur outside of the provider and that's where the startup or the technology group needs to come to the table. They need to come to the table with the process in which you can implement and scale the technology with the insights to enable the teams to deal with that change management. And sometimes you get very lucky and you work with a provider that has that desire and that team and that understanding to move things forward and it's really exciting, but that generally doesn't happen at scale. And I think... For providers, it's maybe a little bit of an acknowledgement of the fact that maybe there are other ways to look at the problems that we've been facing for a very long time and maybe look to new minds to help fix old problems. We tend to maybe lean on the same places or the same areas to solve some of the core issues that are happening across the sector. But there are some amazingly innovative groups out there that are looking at things a little bit differently. And I think the big takeaway is, As we've seen again with the budget and with the Royal Commission and the recommendations that have been handed forward, it doesn't seem like it's the silver bullet that everyone's been waiting for. Everyone's been holding with bated breath around the budget and the Royal Commission and now we've got it. 
doesn't seem like it's going to solve everything. As the CEO of Having Care today was talking on the radio, and it definitely is a great start. But what now? It will come back down to the leadership across the sector to start making this incremental change and driving some of these new types of technology into the sector. And I think it requires some kind of new thinking. And the opportunity there is a growing network of younger organisations out there that are pretty hungry to change. And if the provider selects the right groups, that does have the experience of making that kind of change at scale and of being able to see projects to fruition and beyond, there is amazing opportunities to start to do this incremental innovation because it doesn't need to be driverless cars or rocket ships to the moon or anything as far as innovation. There's a term that we heard the other day, which we just love, called there's roof shots and then there's moon shots. And there's a lot of providers out there looking at the moon shots, which is great. We need to get ready for the baby boomers. We need to get ready for that next evolution but let's get the roof shots done. Maybe that's innovating, simply being able to let someone know who's coming to their house and at what time through an SMS. We don't need to solve all the problems today. We just have to get started on solving the core problems and yeah, let's fix the roof shots and then we can get to the moon shots later on. But I thought that analogy was a really, really cool way to sum up the differences between innovation. Such a good one. I really like that. I'm sure you're going to hear that one on future episodes of the podcast. I'm definitely stealing it. So lastly then, Simon, for Halo specifically, what are you guys going to be focusing on over the next 6 to 12 to 24 months? A few roof shots, I assume. Oh, I have to find out if I can credit the person who said that at some point at a later time. But I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. do that at a later time. We'll put it in the um, show notes. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. But uh, sorry to them. I've stolen it from you if yeah. you've listened to this. But, it's already um, gone. <laughs> yeah, already gone. Already added to the ether. So look, Halo will continue to focus on that last mile that we're talking about, which is digitalizing the circle of care, if you will, or, or the people out in the community, the front line. We've really had a strong focus on connecting the customer and their family members and into the provider so they're able to access their information. And we've always had the focus, but we're really looking at how we can start to empower the the support teams because even us at Halo, we know it's our people that will take care of our customers. And in the same way, we know by empowering teams to do more, to be able to access the information for them to do their jobs and being able to collaborate with the client, collaborate with the family members to create a truly person-led model of care, a truly connected model of care. We really need to bring in all stakeholders. Halo's done a really good job of connecting the family, connecting the clients. Now our focus is on support teams, on allied health, on GPs, on peripheral services that will enable people to stay at home and independent for longer. That's really where we focus and we're a mission-driven organisation. So we're doing this because it's for our families and ultimately for ourselves. And I want to stay at home for as long as I can and live and die at home. And that's what I want around my family. So we're trying to build a truly connected model of care for providers to be able to really easily plug into. So on a more technical sense, that means Halo has a very developed API suite and integration layer, which enables us to plug in with all the tools across the sector, any new tools that are out there, any of the older legacy systems. So we'll be developing more of that API suite. 
working with government if we can on some opportunities around policy change and working really with the providers around changing the cultural norms across the sector. And we're going to do that by Greg, our CEO, said something really cool in one of the webinars. He was saying that information creates awareness and awareness changes behaviour. And that's really what Halo is trying to do is inform people of the information they need to live better in their homes and live well. And we want to be able to connect the dots for people and allow them to access that information, even if it is in a government platform somewhere or a new innovative sensor device in the home or a scheduling platform in the back of a provider somewhere. We want to bring all of that together so people can make the choices for themselves to live the way they want and age the way they want. And that's what I want for me and for my family. And that's what we want to help enable for the providers and communities that they support because they do an amazing job. Awesome, man. All really important things and a great way to sum it up. I'll put some details of Halo in the show notes of this episode and there's a listing for Halo on the Talking Health Tech directory as well. Check it out. If you want to find out more information, get in touch with Simon and the team. But look, really appreciate your time, buddy, and good luck with all the rest of the year and beyond. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.